Welcome to Small Business Success with Steve Strauss, author of the Small Business Bible plus the Small Business Columnist for USA Today. Find out more at theselfemployed.com. Here's your host, Steve Strauss. Are you looking for small business success? Well, what are we waiting for? Let's get started. As always, this week's show is sponsored by my friends at Greatland. Greatland is where you need to go to get your tax, W-2, and 1099 needs met. Go to greatland.com to learn more. So I have a question for you today, and that is this. Why do some businesses thrive and grow while others flounder or worse, go out of business? Why can so many small businesses not get to the next level? Well, that is, in fact, what we're going to be talking about and exploring in today's show, the secrets to growing a business. Coming up, we have uh, an interesting interview with a husband and wife team, Doug and Polly White who wrote a best-selling book called Let Go to Grow. And it got us to thinking here uh, at Small Business Success with me, Steve Strauss, what is it that helps a business grow? Of course, I think about this a lot. And I find this uh, article from Inc.com looking at several businesses that, that grew. And uh, here's my question for you. What do these businesses have in common? At the end of this little feature, we will try and answer that question. So here, the first person they feature is Chris Zane of Zane's Bicycles. Zane is 46 now, got to start at age 12 fixing bikes in his parents' uh, Connecticut garage. At 16, he listen to this. At 16, he convinced his parents to let him take over the lease of a bike shop that was going out of business. He borrowed $23,000 at 16 years old from his grandfather. Hey, Gramps knew what he was doing. He, offered, he uh, charged 15% interest. His mother tended the store while he went to school in the mornings. His first year, he racked up an impressive $56,000 in sales. And this year, this year he's going to have $21 million in sales. So, wow, what did he do right? Maybe it's the same thing that Aaron Baker did right. Aaron Baker runs a company called Wholesome Baked Foods in 1994, Aaron Baker began making healthy breakfast cookies. One day I got a call from a woman asking for the nutritionals, she said, because we were selling them at a local market. Uh, the woman had figured out that the cookies were only two Weight Watchers points. And for those of you like me, who've been on Weight Watchers a couple of times, two points <laughs> is a good number. We love that. So yeah, what happened? Bang! So she started selling a lot of cookies. How quickly? In that year, 1999, her business went from two employees to 100. And then shortly thereafter, Weight Watchers changed its point system and she lost 60% of her business. Now, for a lot of businesses, that would be the end of the story. It wasn't for her. She's even making more money today than she did then. How did she recover? Two words, new products. They moved away from the diet crowd and into a more luxury cookie. And Aaron Baker's wholesale, Wholesome Baked Goods is a winner. And then let's look at Orin Bluestein of Orin's Daily Roast Coffees and Tea. I love this story of Orin's because it kind of reminded me of my own story, and I bet it reminds you of your, your story as well. After graduating from the University of Pennsylvania, Orin Bluestein, a Long Island, New York native, moved to New York City and found a job at Saks Fifth Avenue working in corporate retail. It was 1979. He was 23. And he was, you know, completely miserable. Yes, we've been there. I wanted to be somewhere where I didn't have to report to 15 people, he says. So he quit his job in 1984, 
didn't know nothing about coffee or anything about coffee too, and founded Oren's Daily Roast in 1986. He got a $50,000 gift from his parents, $30,000 in personal savings, and a loan of $25,000, and opened up a 400-square-foot shop on First Avenue on Manhattan's Upper East Side. It is 25 years later, and Oren's Daily Roast is a $10 million a year business. So the question I had when we started, the question I'm going to ask our uh, interviewees here in a second is, what did all these people do right? How do they grow their business? And you know what? I'm not sure. (laughs) I wish I had a better answer for you. But the thing is, they were resilient. They were creative. They worked hard. They were willing to take a calculated risk. When things got bad, they moved in a new direction. They had a good idea. They followed up on it. It wasn't one thing, and I don't think it is usually one thing that allows you to grow your business. You find an opportunity, you go for it. Lots of little things add up to a big thing. So without further ado, as they say, we are going to ask the experts, Doug and Polly white about how you do grow your business. And by the way, at the end of the show, in the tip feature after the interview, I'm going to give a website to you that I think can have a huge impact on your ability to grow your business and be found on the internet. And that always is a nice thing. So hold on for that. And in the meantime, let's talk to Doug and Polly. This week's interview. So I asked everyone at the top of the show, how do you grow your business? I shared a couple of stories and we're trying to figure out the uh, the elusive formula for growing your business. I think everybody does want to know that. And so I am very happy to have two folks with us today who've written a book on just that subject. Doug and Polly White wrote a great book called Let Go to Grow. And we're going to be talking about that topic. So Doug and Polly, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much for having us. We're really happy to be here with you. So tell us a little bit about the, about the book. When, when did you write it? What was your inspiration for writing it? Well, we were working with our small business clients, and we noticed that a number of them were struggling with transitions. So we went out and interviewed more than 100 small and mid-sized businesses to try to understand the problems that they had as their businesses grew and what they needed to do to overcome them. Right. And what we found along the way is that there's a fairly predictable set of challenges and transitions that really the majority of small businesses will go through. And and to kind of understand that, we'd love to explain to you the way we classify business. Go ahead. So for us, a micro-business is when the principal is doing the primary work of the business. He or she may have a helper or two, but the preponderance of the revenue comes directly from the principal's efforts. Uh, and you can see in this in this business, in the micro business, the real key to success is how well does the principal do the primary work of the business. Right. Right. And and then we talk about what we call a small business structure. Now, this is where the principal has now grown the business a little bit and maybe has a um, some few a few employees and and really has transferred that primary work of the business down to these employees. So while he or she may keep a hand in the business and maybe even do a function in the business, most of the revenue is now coming from the efforts of others rather than just strictly from the principal. And you can see the two things have happened. The first is that the principal has had to let go 
of doing the primary work of the business. He or she has had to delegate that to the workers. The second thing is that he or she has had to pick up some skill sets in transitioning from micro to small. Right, and those skill sets are, I had to learn how to hire people correctly and then how to manage them effectively to do the primary work of my business. So you see, really, we've morphed from being a doer to being a manager, and that's a big step for a lot of entrepreneurs. The next step in the process is midsize. And in, in a midsize structure, there's at least one layer of management between the principal and those people doing the primary work of the business. Now, that may sound like a small thing. You go from managing workers to managing managers. It's actually what we call the big chasm. Right. This is where we find that most entrepreneurs stall out. They get to the size where they have a few employees, but once they get those managers in place or, or start hiring a couple of people because frankly, their span of control gets a little too big for them and they start hiring in managers, they don't learn how to delegate effectively to those managers. And because of that, the business stalls out. They reach what we call the unhappy equilibrium. So in the unhappy equilibrium, the principal has got way too much on his or her plate, is unwilling to delegate decision-making authority, so he or she is still making every important decision in the business, and things start to fall off the edge of the plate. And at some point, for every new customer that the business attracts, they lose a customer who's dissatisfied because something has slipped off. It's the unhappy equilibrium. It's where growth solves. But there is a solution to that. Right. You need to be able to put in place for your business the infrastructure of a mid-sized company. And for us, it's really three things, which is getting the right managers in place, having well-documented processes that communicate how you want things done, and then what we call a set of robust metrics that tell you on a daily and weekly or monthly basis what's going on way deep down in your business so that you actually can sleep at night because you feel okay about your business. You know how it's running and you feel good about it. So I want to ask you about that. You know, and it's funny, people who have uh, listened to my show before or who've read my USA Today column will know that I, I love talking about my dad, who's my favorite entrepreneur. And my dad started out with one small little carpet store in Southern California. Him and his partner, you're right, they were the micro business, you know, maybe five, 600 square feet. And they grew it to a chain of about 17 or 18 stores, a fairly significant size business. And you know what? He, my dad became, what was it? The unhappy equilibrium? Is that what you called it? <laughs> yes. Right. He he lived unhappily. Uh, that's where he got because he became he became a manager more than an entrepreneur, and he couldn't he didn't read your book because he didn't have it available. And you know what he finally did was he actually sold his his share of the business to his partner and opened up one giant store again. And at the end of his life, he was a very happy you know micro business once again, which I find kind of funny because there are a lot of other solutions. And I bet one of the solutions basically is you need to let go to grow, right? So you do have to let go as the business grows. But I will pause for a moment and tell you that in our book, we have a chapter that is, why grow? Because we think that many businesses reach a point where the owner says, I'm happy with what I've got. I know that if I grow to the next step, I'm going to have to let go, give up decision-making authority. I don't want to do that. And so I'm going to be very comfortable staying right where I am. That's essentially the point that, that your father reached. Right. Right. And as long as the entrepreneur is happy with the business, as long as the business is throwing off enough cash so that um, 
it's taking care of his or her lifestyle and that of the families. That's just terrific. And then they don't really need to grow. But there's a lot of reasons why entrepreneurs do want to grow their business. Of course, more revenue, taking care of a you know a succession to a, a second generation. And if you do want to grow, there are these two critical transitions where you're going to have to let go. When you go from micro to small, mm -hmm. you have to let go of doing the primary work of the business. When you go from small to midsize, you have to delegate decision-making authority to your managers, and you have to let go of a measure of control. So what kind of skills do you need to do that? What kind of, and what kind of psychological makeup? Because I'm, I'm almost thinking it's the psychological change that's harder than having the right skills, but I might be wrong there. Well, it is psychological. That's important. But one of the things we tell people is the only thing worse than not delegating when you need to is delegating before you put this proper infrastructure in place. These three things that Polly was describing. Right. When, when we're talking about getting these right managers in place, there is a lot of thought that has to go into it, and it needs to go in early in the business process. So back when you're a micro business and moving into a small business and you're starting to hire employees, you have to almost say to yourself, do I envision my company becoming something that's much bigger where I'm going to actually need to put in management staff? And if the answer to that is yes, then way back at the small business stage, you have to be saying now, am I going to grow my own employees into managers or am I going to at some point go outside of my business and buy skilled talent? Because really getting the right managers in place is a make or buy decision. If you're going to buy them, great. It's a little more expensive, but you can go out and buy talent. If you're going to make your own managers, then you have to be thinking about hiring people that have the potential and then investing time in them, in coaching them and mentoring them and giving them projects to manage and, and, and spending that time investing in those employees so that when your business gets to the point where it's ready for a management staff, you've got somebody you can slot into the position. Once you get the right managers in place, the second thing you have to do is document your processes. It's the way you communicate to your employees how you want things done and the way you ensure that they're done consistently across a much larger operation when you can't personally be there. So it's the whole e-myth e kind of uh, idea. Precisely. Right. It, is, it is very much a parallel to e-myth. And the final piece that you need is the metrics that allow you to know what's going on in the business even though you can no longer be there personally. Once you've got those three things in place, those three pieces of what we call the infrastructure stool, then you can confidently delegate decision-making authority to your managers. Right. I think that one of the things that keeps people from getting to that next step and, and being able to delegate and, and feeling like they can let go, that psychological step you were talking about, is they don't have the confidence in the organization. Mm -hmm. They don't believe that the managers they have will make the right decisions for them. So it's, it's all of that. You know, One of the benefits of growing your own managers is that you instill in them the corporate culture. You, you know that they have your values. You know that they understand the core of your business. And so you can feel more confident that they're ready you know, when they get to that point, that, that they will make the right kinds of decisions. Yeah, I want to ask, ask you about that. We, we're talking with Doug and Polly White, authors of Let Go to Grow, and 
this idea of your values, I think, is so important because it's something that, that's really important that I think a lot of small businesses may not pay attention to. But if, in fact, you're going to create a culture, you either have one by default or design, and design is always better than default. So how do you figure out what your values are in your business and how do you instill those in those people around you so that they are carrying on, you know, without, you know, your vision when you're not around? It really comes down to actions. It, it comes down to what are you as the principal of the organization talking about and then doing within the organization. You have to, you have to explicitly say, these are the values of our company. We have worked with one small business here in the Richmond area where they really put the emphasis on making things easy for their customers. Um, it comes down to, you know, is it something that's a little better for the business or something that's a little better for the customer? They always weigh on the side of it's easier for the customer to do business with us this way, so this is the way we're going to do it. And it has, it's something that this business owner talks about in his weekly meetings. It's what he does. It's the way he carries out consistently his decisions. And his employees know that when it comes right down to it, if I have a decision between two different things, I am going to pick the way that's easier for the customer because that's going to be the way the boss wants it done. So smart. You know, we're running, we're running a little short on time here, and clearly you're very passionate about this. We love people who are passionate about small business. You know, if you were to share you know, your one piece of wisdom that you've learned along the way, if you could distill something down uh, that you would like people to, to take away um, and know about how to grow their business, what, what would you want them to know? Well, I think it's, it's encapsulated in the title of our book, Let Go to Grow. You should first of all make an explicit decision about whether or not you want to grow your business, whether or not you want to move to the next level. But once you've made that decision, you then need to be willing to do the things that it takes to move from micro to small or from small to midsize. Right, and it's counterintuitive, Steve. It's at every level, when you transition to the next level, you have to give up the thing that made you successful at the prior level. Oh, that's so interesting. Wow, that's great, yeah. Yeah, you have to be willing to give up that primary work, which is probably why you got into the business in the first place. And then as a, as a small business, you were successful because you could hire and manage the right people. You made great tactical decisions. When you move to midsize, you've got to delegate that to your managers. Fantastic, you guys. I'd love to talk to you for another 15 minutes if I could, but I can't. So if people want to know more or would like to get a copy of the book, where should they go? Well, we're available in Barnes & Noble and on Amazon.com, of course, but you can also go to our website, which is DougAndPolly.com, and that's A-N-D in the middle. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having us. Coming up next, the tip of the week. So, as I said, uh, I have a great website I want you to know about. My question for you is, how findable are you? How findable are you? So if you want to grow your business, the main thing is, the basic thing is, you have to be found. Well, some businesses are much more, as we say, findable than others. I would suggest that you check out this website, and it is put on by some a company I do some great work with uh, called Dex.com, Dex1. And the website is howfindableareyou.com, howfindableareyou.com. You go there, they have a free tool that takes about a couple minutes. You put in your website, you put in your social media, you put in a couple other answers, and it will an analyze how well people can find you online. Uh, there are five aspects to being found. Here are five factors to being findable. It is your brand, 
your physical location, your advertising, your online presence, and your reputation and community. So you're going to look at all five of those things in this nice little widget they have, put them in, and then you're going to find out how findable you are. And if you want to grow your business, I hope you are findable. And if you're not very findable, it will tell you how to be more findable. In the meantime, you know where to find me, and that is at The Self-Employed. Thank you for uh, stopping by. And thanks, as always, to our great sponsors, greatland.com. Hope you'll find us next time you look for a small business podcast. And that is this week's show. As always, this week's show is sponsored by my friends at Greatland. Greatland is where you need to go to get your tax, W-2, and 1099 needs met. Go to greatland.com to learn more. Stop by again next week for some more small business success.